Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia Obama. back to episode number 28 with your Femi founders, Esther and myself, Lydia. This week's guest is such an incredible inspiration to us. She is a well-known body positivity advocate with over 240,000 followers on Instagram and over half a million followers on TikTok. The amazing Jessica Emily Quinn is also one of our good friends. Jess lost her leg to cancer at just nine years old after being diagnosed from a break in her femur due to falling off a soccer ball. Jess then went on to have a rare surgery called a rotational plasty, being the first patient in New Zealand, whereby the surgeon removes the middle part of the leg and the lower leg is reattached to the thigh, but rotated 180 degrees. The ankle joint functions as the new knee joint. Crazy, but amazing. Jess has spent the last 20 years working through the changes in her body, her confidence in herself, and more recently has been challenged yet again with a diagnosis of endometriosis. As one of the most resilient humans we know, we are so excited to welcome Jess to the pod. How are you, Jess, and what has been going on? Hello, friends. That was such a nice intro. Uh, what has been going on? So many things. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think we can all say a lot has been going on the last couple of years, but also like not a lot at the same time. Um, but yeah, just um, chugging along at the moment, balancing work and life and my recent endo um, diagnosis, as you touched on, Lids. Um, but yeah, that's that's life right now in a small, small nutshell. Yeah, and we'll definitely get deeper into your challenging journey with endometriosis. But let's just start right at the beginning. We know you were a really sporty kid and you loved sport as a child. What role did sport have for you as you were growing up? And can you give us a bit more background on your childhood, what it was like from what you remember up until the moment you were diagnosed with osteosarcoma? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my memories prior to my diagnosis are pretty slim, I think, as most of our memories are. Um, I was a really active kid, and that's probably one of my biggest memories from when I was young was just playing sports. And I just wanted to, I guess, be involved in everything. And I was a really good athlete. I was a really great cross-country runner and um, a really great netball player. And like, there was just no doubt that I was always in the top teams. And I mean, I was only eight, but it was just a huge part of my life and I had just begun competing in track outside of school which I think you kind of get to an age and that that, that was like the coolest thing ever to have a uniform for sport that wasn't a school uniform like I just felt like an athlete it was amazing um and I had just begun doing that when I was diagnosed um but in terms of the rest of my childhood it was it was pretty awesome I've got two sisters and really amazing parents and yeah I mean everything was just really normal until until it wasn't um, and yeah, one day I was outside with my sister and we were just kicking around a soccer ball. My little younger sister was napping and mum had promised us a little shopping spree. So she was like, keep yourself entertained, which I realized was now a bribe just to tell us to piss off, quite frankly. Um, and my older sister and I just went outside and yeah, played on the soccer ball and I was just really active and I thought it would be really cool if I tried to balance on a soccer ball, which isn't anything too extreme. I played a lot of sports, so balancing on a soccer ball isn't overly crazy. Um, and yeah, next thing I knew I was on the ground and had basically snapped my femur bone, which they found out um, once I got to hospital. 
um, which is the strongest bone in our body. So it shouldn't really snap like that. But they put me into hospital, sorry, into surgery to heal that break and put rods up my leg and all of that to hold my bone together. Um, and then I went through the usual um, healing process that you do for a bone break, um, just recovering and then learning to walk once I was out of plaster, I think it was six or 12 weeks later. But during that process, I was complaining a lot about pain. And a couple of times I went back into surgery just to make sure like everything was healing all right. And yeah, looking back, there was a few comments in my medical notes, like, oh, we can feel a callus, but like, it's totally fine. And like a few things like that. Um, but no major alarm bells were raised. And then um, once I started walking again, I was just in the amount of pain I shouldn't have been in. And my dad got to a point where he was like, he just knew it wasn't normal. Um, so he pushed for more answers and they did some tests and found that that callus was actually a massive tumor, <laughs> um, which is the reason my bone had broken in the first place, I think. Um, I don't know how long it had been there, but it had been wearing down my the strongest bone in my body um, and had snapped it. So no one needs to worry about their bone snapping on a soccer ball. That shouldn't happen. Um, but yeah, that was an underlying cancer for me. Um, and yeah, my life went from being super active and super normal to being very abnormal. I was um, pretty much living in a hospital um, for the better part of a year, um, living between home and hospital. And I really quickly was rushed into a crazy amount of chemotherapy. I think I had the strongest chemo at its strongest dose just to try knock it on its head. And I learned recently when I was writing my book, I kind of actually started to learn and read my medical notes and understand the timeline of things. But they had decided quite early on that it was likely my leg would need to be amputated and to be amputated through a rotation plasty. Um, but they weren't 100% sure and they wanted to give it the best chance to shrink and not spread to the rest of my body. So that's why I had intense chemo for I think nine months and I was wildly sick I lost all of my hair I think the day of my surgery I weighed 18 kilos like I was very small um and I was really unwell um had surgery surgery went pretty well it was a 14 hour procedure um and as you touched on Liz there was one young girl who had had it done before me but she'd passed away um so I was yeah the only person in New Zealand and it was in a time you can't just google or hashtag rotation plasty and find what it looks like um and it is you know a really unusual procedure that I highly recommend people googling because it's quite fascinating but um it wasn't something that we knew anything about um but the reason we chose that was because it would give me the best chance of being active or else I I would have had an amputation right into my hip socket, which means that your mobility is quite limited. Um, but basically this means that your ankle joint backwards works as a knee joint. So it would allow me to hopefully get back to some form of activity as I got older. So yeah, and then I had more chemotherapy. Um, my surgery was in October. I had more chemotherapy starting in December. Um, and that was the worst time for me. I actually nearly lost my life during that time because I was just really weak from surgery and yeah and then had to have more chemo but somehow I bounced back and then the journey to learning to walk again um, and to live my life in a differently abled body began basically. Wow what a story and I feel like you trying to balance on that soccer ball maybe was like the universe and although what followed must have been extremely traumatic I feel like maybe that was a if we could find a silver lining, a good thing, because oh, it led to that diagnosis. And so, yeah, that's that's crazy, Jason. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, but yeah, being diagnosed with cancer at such a young age must have been really traumatic for you and your family and your loved ones. Do you feel like that time in your life is still carried 
around with you today in terms of who you are and what you're doing with your life now? Yeah, definitely. Um, very traumatic for my family. I always say like I would rather go through it than watch someone go through that because you're just so helpless. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I mean, I've also chosen to carry it a lot more than many would because it's become my career to talk about it. Um, so I carry it very, um, yeah, I carry it a lot and I relive it a lot, which has been both healing and really challenging at the same time. And yeah, I, you know, I recently, as I touched on, wrote a book and, and it was through that process that I came to terms with a lot of what I'd gone through because I really dove deep into understanding my journey. Um, but definitely the way that it has affected my life has been really prominent and I mean for the most part I I got on with it and I and I always have and I've wanted to use my story to do good but there's certainly times where it'll just gets kind of too much but I think a lot of that comes down to actually living with the disability opposed to living with the trauma of the cancer like that's there and everyone who's gone through childhood cancer will understand that you know once you have cancer it never really leaves you in terms of the emotional and mental effects but for me, my biggest challenges are living without a limb, basically. So, yeah, it's it's definitely forever with me. But it's also something that, you know, I've always said, if I had my time again, would I change what I went through as horrific and challenging as it has been? I don't know if I would, because I also wouldn't be where I am now without that kind of challenge in my life. So you can't really you know, if we chose our life, it's like the butterfly effect. You can't just change one thing and expect the rest to stay the same. It all has a flow and effect. So I wouldn't have met the people I've met and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, crazy, Jess. And like, we obviously know your story pretty well, but even just hearing you speak through it with us, like it's so, you're so inspiring. I think everything you do and everything you're about and what you've been through is so inspiring to us. So yeah, I think like you're, you're definitely hands down one of the most resilient people we know. Um, and when it comes to body image and body confidence, you're such an inspiration. Can you tell us what it's been like and what the journey's been like that you've been on with your body from losing your leg at the age of nine to then not wearing shorts for another 10 or so years, was it? And now having this incredible confidence through your social media platforms a, how are you so resilient? Where does that come from? And B, where did the confidence come from as well? Um, I think for me, the resilience, I, I, I kind of, I've thought about it a lot. And I think it's kind of that nature versus nurture conversation. I can't deny the fact that I probably wouldn't be who I am, except for the obvious reasons, um, if it wasn't for my parents. Um, I, you know, like they, just the way they handled themselves through what we all went through as a family was just so inspiring. And they, really taught me to look at look for the positives and to look at the positives um and so I think I've just always been a it doesn't matter if the if your glass is half full or half empty all that matters is that you have water in, in your glass and that's kind of how I look at life you know I am lucky no matter no matter how much water there is even if it's just a drop sometimes you know and so that's just always been my outlook so I think it is just in me um to have that but also you know i I was only eight. I didn't really, I haven't lived much life without the struggles that I faced. And I think that really set me up for the life that I've lived because I kind of experienced how bad life gets before I got to experience how good life gets. And I think you, I can't deny that, I guess the perspective that has allowed me. Um, so that has been, yeah, probably the main thing for me and my resilience. Um, but I'm also not perfect. You know, I have days where I um, just want to sit on the bathroom floor and cry. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be human if that wasn't the case. 
And, you know, I think in terms of body image, that's also been the case. It's been such a journey to live a life in a body that's so vastly different from everybody else's. Like not only am I an amputee, I have a backwards foot for a leg. And, you know, as I said, give it a Google because it is really unusual. And to live your life in a body like that is really unusual but at the same time I've always known that this body is what saved my life and again it happened to me so young that I just never really I guess never really placed the importance on how I looked because I knew that the way I looked is what saved me um but in saying that you know initially after my uh, recovery I just bounced back I was I was just the kid wanting to get back to a birthday party or back to the playground with my friends I didn't care what my leg looked like or any of that because that's just the I guess um amazing innocence and naivety of, of young kids but I reached my teenage years as, as many of us would have felt the same and it all kind of started to change and that was probably five or six years post my remission and not only was I coming to terms with what I'd gone through and the implications that, that was going to have for me but also I guess um, how my body actually looks different you know my friends are starting to shorten their school skirts and their nipple skirts are getting shorter and mine like is getting longer and longer and longer as I get more and more insecure because I just wanted to hide um, and I found myself you know I remember being at family like gatherings and like with extended family and family friends um, and I would be having conversations and I would hide my leg a little bit behind furniture and behind like a plant or something that was next to me which is something I've only just remembered that I did recently but it's all of these little subconscious things that I was doing to just hide my body because you know I was really confident about my story and I would talk about it really openly but I also just wanted to move on I didn't want my leg to be a focus and if others weren't staring at it then I could hopefully just forget about it and there was a good two years there where I literally cried myself to sleep I think for two years solid because I just hated the body that I was in and I was also developing everywhere else. My body was growing. My good leg was doubling in size because I was no longer a sick eight-year-old kid. And the nature of my amputated leg stays really skinny. It's probably about the size of my arm. Um, and so therefore, you know, I'm wearing skinny jeans and all of a sudden I'm one side boyfriend jeans and one side skinny jeans, um, which was really hard. So I would wake up each morning and wrap socks and sports bandages and t-shirts and masking tape around my leg just to fill out a thigh type thing so I could wear jeans confidently. Um, so I struggled hugely and yeah, didn't wear shorts for I think eight years or so. Um, and eventually I was probably in my second to last year of high school, maybe last year of high school. And it was a hot summer's day and I was hanging out with some friends and they were like, you must be really hot. I think I was in jeans hiding my leg and high top shoes. And they're like, throw on some shorts. And I was just with friends. So I was like, oh, I'll just throw on some shorts, whatever. And they kind of left me to get changed, not thinking it was a big deal. And it was the most pivotal, pivotal moment of my life because I put on these shorts in my friend's bedroom and just remembered feeling weirdly like a weight lift off my shoulders and I realized how much I was holding myself back and all that mattered was how I felt about my body not how everybody else felt about it and regardless people are probably going to stare because I have a prosthetic leg but you know if 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 I'm unhappy in my body and cancer had taken so much of that happiness already I didn't want to make that worse by hiding away any further because I knew that I only had one life to live and the way my body looks isn't what's important about myself so I just yeah I I did do a little bit of fake a smile and move on because I did just want to get over it um and eventually I guess I realized that that had stuck and it was actually just really natural for me um 
again, I still have really bad days, we all do. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I just, if I'm having a bad day in my body, I just remind myself that, you know, my legs are meant to take me places and not be picked apart. So yeah, that's a bit about my body image journey. It's amazing that, you know, what you do now has evolved so much from that moment because you you encourage so many people to love their bodies and that's because of probably what you've been through and you know you share that with your huge following online and it's just such an amazing thing to do and to help people to love their bodies and I guess build that confidence themselves but we we've noticed that the amount you share in terms of your body has evolved over the years so it seems like now you share everything the raw and the real, which we love, and so does everyone else. Uh, but what has that journey been like for you of evolving what you share about your body? Yeah, it's been, I've definitely noticed that too. And I've actually um, seen quite a few people commenting who have been there for the long run online and have noticed the same thing. And it's been really cool because I think people need to remember that, you know, I'm not at the end of my journey. I'm just on my journey and I'm sharing it as I go. And so six years ago when I started, I was so much less confident than I am now, although I thought I was at my peak of confidence. You know, I'm forever evolving as we all are. And I I think it's also been what people probably don't understand about, you know, I guess I work online and, and you know, I get messages all day long about how inspiring I am, but I think people forget that it's a two-way street. You know, I constantly get messages from other people and people uplift me when I share things and that's really inspiring for me to keep going. Um, and I just see the impact that it has when I share my body as raw as I possibly can. So that just inspires me to keep sharing it because I do believe that is a huge part of my purpose and and I do have a vastly unique body so if I can show something really really unique hopefully other people can see that and then feel okay in the things that make them different um, but it has been an evolution I remember um, when I did my first photo shoot it was me and my running blade and wearing my running blade prior to that my prosthetics had always looked pretty natural everyone just thought I'd sprained my knee because it just looked like I had a sports bandage on if I was out and about and then when I got my blade which is like like if people don't know what that is, it's like what the Olympians or Paralympians will wear. Um, I stepped out in the gym for the first time and I remember being so nervous because for the first time I was stepping out in something that didn't look like a leg and it was the most incredible moment of my life because for the first time I could see people staring not staring at me they would just look and you could see it in their eyes they're like oh she's an amputee and they move on opposed to people staring for ages because it kind of looked real kind of didn't and they were trying to figure it out whereas it was just like yeah this is who I am and and that's it um and so it started with that being like my biggest moment and then now I just crawl around with a backwards foot and show the whole world that <laughs> so <laughs> I just yeah it has been really amazing and I mean I think I'm at my limit because I'm, I'm like the next thing would be naked and that's inappropriate so <laughs> I think I've showed everything I can show but you never know <laughs> it's been so cool as like some of your good friends that have kind of been next to you on this journey over the last six years even for us to see the amount that you share and the confidence shining through you like it's been so cool to see that journey and be by your side through that because every step or video I see where you show more and you tell the world more about yourself I almost feel like a win inside me. It's like it builds my confidence as well by seeing you do that sort of stuff. So I don't know, just keep keep doing it, Jess, because I think mm -hmm. it's it's helping everybody and it, it's like little celebrations for us as well when we see yourself sharing your story and being so confident about it. Thank you. <laughs> Staying on the body positivity or body confidence topic, realizing that we're not going to wake up every day and love everything about our bodies. We know that that's just not realistic. 
But for those who are trying to grow their confidence in themselves, what would your piece of advice be for building that confidence? And are there like particular things that you do or that you would suggest for people to do to help build their their own body confidence? Yeah, I think, I mean, I have um, so many, but I think, I mean, one thing which I touched on before is when you are in that place, remind yourself what your body is meant to do you know your body is amazing because it takes you places or it does x y and z and I think we can show gratitude to that by finding something we really enjoy and it might be painting or it might be running whatever it is but something that is you using your body and taking a step back and being like wow I literally wouldn't be able to do this if my body wasn't incredible or if I didn't have an arm or if I didn't have the abilities in my legs or whatever it might be I think that gratitude piece is really important because yeah we need to have those reminders and also having those hobbies that take us outside of living in our head I think is really important and whatever that is I think for a lot of your listeners I imagine it's um something to do with moving but you know it could be something creative whatever it is like when I was dancing it was I was just so far from my head it wasn't even funny because I was doing something with my body and that just made me feel so grateful so I think that's really important another one which I I sometimes mention this and I don't know if it sounds really bad but I avoid mirrors like why do we need to just fuss over it like I have very few mirrors in my house except the ones that are glued to the wall in the bathroom because I'm like I don't want to stare for hours in a mirror and fuss over my leg which is never going to look perfect I just want to get out and live my life so I find trying to avoid things you know I think a lot of us could probably relate to body checking like looking in the mirror turning sideways seeing if something's changed or whatever it is especially if we're having a bad day and then we just get stuck in this vicious cycle that we could just snap out of by not doing that um so that's something that kind of helps me um I also I think social media, we all know comparison is the thief of joy. And I am the first to admit that I've been stuck in it as well. And I think the best thing we can do is a get off social media. If we're feeling really, really bad, I completely delete the app because we've all been there. We've put our phone down, said we're not going to pick it up. And then we pick it up without realizing. So I sometimes just delete the app to just give myself a weekend off. But I also think diversifying the people you follow and muting or unfollowing the people that aren't making you feel good, even if it is your best friend who may has I don't know points out something that you don't want to look at or whatever it is unfollow that person or mute them if it's your best friend they won't know um but you know your social media is a place for you and I think also by diversifying your content are you following people with disabilities are you following people from different cultures diversify what a human body looks like and what humans look like because when we're scrolling through social media we often see a really small representation of that and it is really perfect because people are putting filters on and all of that kind of stuff it's not realistic so I find getting out of that cycle um, but also yeah diversifying the people that you surround yourself by is a really important way to remind ourselves you know what we all look like as humans because we're all so different that's so true I never actually thought about that but you think about the algorithms that are set up in social media platforms they're just spitting out the same content over and over like where is the diversity in that content and that's I guess like definitely not helping with trying to create this diverse society that we live in so I like that one I'm going to do that thanks <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> definitely and I, I agree with the mirror one I reckon oh I agree with all of them but that one hit home with COVID I reckon so I was at home when I lived in Sydney I was at home a lot because of COVID and lockdown and there were so many mirrors in the house and I used to go and like just look at the mirror and be like oh like that's I don't like that about me or and I feel like I was noticing it more because I was in the home more so I was inside more and then there was just mirrors everywhere and I did notice that and I I think that's actually a really good point like sometimes 
if you're not feeling that good, just look away because what's around you is beautiful. And then it's going to take you back to, I guess, being more present and not staring in your reflection. So yeah, that's awesome advice. Um, <laughs> we're going to flip the switch now and talk about periods. At so, <laughs> <laughs> Femi, we try to encourage anyone who menstruates to embrace their periods and use this as a tool uh, for feeling empowered in themselves. So we know you've recently gone through your own hormonal journey with endometriosis. After years of not knowing what was going on with your body, you've finally been diagnosed with that chronic pain disorder. So firstly, have you paid much attention to your cycle before? And what has your relationship been like with your period in the past? Yeah, I've always been reasonably clued up on my cycle. I think as someone who went through a really big health event when I was young, just being across my health 100% has always been really important to me and also just something I'm actually kind of passionate about and interested in. Um, So I have been quite across my cycle. Um, When I was young, uh, after I got my period, I can't remember how soon after, but I started to get really bad pain. Um, so they put me on as many do, um, the pill. And so I guess around that time, I think I was on the pill for about eight years. Um, I didn't play, pay as much attention to my cycle because, um, it was just quite regular and normal because I was on, on the pill. Um, and I didn't know a huge amount about it. And then I just decided to take myself off the pill um, about six years ago, just because I was just, I'm not a a huge fan of medication personally and I thought I could self-manage it myself um, and that's when I got really interested in understanding my cycle what it's supposed to be like and all of that kind of stuff I'm also someone who sees a lot of people in the holistic world if you like and that really got me understanding my cycle because they would often ask me questions you know about heavy how heavy it was or about cervical mucus or whatever and I, those are things I've never had conversations about and then I I guess I did a, a big um, deep dive into all of that kind of stuff and became quite interested in it And then, yeah, my pain over the past probably three years has just started getting really bad again to the point where I was like, I think this is just like period pain because, you know, there's stuff in the supermarket for period pain. It must be normal. I must just be like a bit of a wuss. I'm not sure. Um, But then I was like something in me was like, this just doesn't feel normal. And I had a whole lot of other issues like gut health issues and yeah, a huge amount of things. But because I was someone who had been through cancer, who lives with a lot of just chronic pain issues anyway because of my leg I was like of course my experience is going to be different this will be different this will be related to that this will be and I was constantly making these excuses because endometriosis just wasn't spoken about enough and then recently the few people I see the experts I see from the natural world and and doctors and stuff had kind of they just slowly started mentioning endo and I was like okay maybe this is something I should explore um and so yeah recently I decided to go see a specialist and it moved super quickly and I got in for a surgery and again I even went into the surgery this is just how untalked about it is but like I remember being wheeled into the surgery being like I know I'm going to wake up and they're just going to be like oh there's nothing there because every test I've ever done before for other things has just always come back negative and it just started to make me feel like I was going crazy um and then the surgeon woke me up and I was really really out of it um and she just said surgery went well we removed the endo and her saying that like I have never cried so much in my life I don't think I just like some emotion just took over my body and I think it was it was actually more relief than it was sadness that I'd been diagnosed with something I was just so relieved that 
someone had seen and heard me and that what I was experiencing wasn't normal. And that was only six weeks ago now, but I have just become the biggest advocate for endometriosis and anyone who goes through these kind of things and menstrual related illnesses and all of that kind of stuff, because we just don't speak about it enough. And, you know, we have normalized period pain to a point that people who are living like I was think that that's normal. Um, because you can buy over-the-counter medication for period pain, but that that isn't normal. So um, yeah, that's that's a bit about my endo journey. Mm, it must have been such a crazy feeling to find out you actually had a diagnosis and there was something wrong and it wasn't just your mind playing tricks on you. Just for those who are out there and want to learn more about endometriosis, we're actually going to do an entire podcast with our Femi experts about this topic. So definitely stay tuned for that one. We would dive a lot deeper into endometriosis as well as polycystic ovarian syndrome. So stay tuned on the pod for that one. What was that kind of moment like for you, I guess, and has your relationship with your body changed since you were given a diagnosis and given answers to why you haven't been or hadn't been feeling good for a long time? Yeah, I I mean, as I said, at first I was just so relieved and then I was in hospital, I had a few complications, so I was in hospital for a couple of days and I mean, the drugs were probably mostly to blame, but my emotional roller coaster was insane, like it, there was just so much relief and then sadness and and thoughts of what if what does this mean for my future and all of that kind of stuff um but I was so well supported by the team I had around me that I just felt really I actually remember feeling quite empowered like I felt I don't know I don't know if anyone gets this but you know when you get your period and you're kind of like oh this is horrible I hate it and then like a couple of days in you kind of get I personally get the sense of when it's nearly finishing of like yeah I'm a woman this is great I don't know like I get this like sense of like confidence or empowerment I don't know what it is um and I kind of had that feeling because a I had the answers b I was really proud of myself for I guess being my own advocate and being like something's not right and keep finding someone who would listen um but then also there was a lot of what ifs in my head because I'd read so many stories. And that's the thing about endo is it's, you know, everyone's really different and, and, you know, it causes many different issues for many different women that aren't always related to another person's. Um, but yeah, I definitely think relief was a huge thing for me and, and my relationship with my body since has been, um, yeah, interesting. I just, I really, I've learned over the past couple of years, I've dealt a lot with injury and, and illness, I guess, if you like over the past couple of years, particularly, and I've learned to rest a lot, which I mean, when I first met you guys, I was not a rester. I was like doing all the things I could possibly do um, in a body that probably shouldn't do that. And now I've just learned to slow down. So I think um, taking the time to go through that when I was recovering was really important to me. Um, and just, yeah, listening to my body. Um, it was a pretty vulnerable recovery is probably how I would put it. It was hard, but it was just like a vulnerable feeling. Um, just being in such a, I guess... I don't know, sacred part of our body, a part that isn't often, um, I guess, keyhole. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it's definitely taught me a lot about my body and, and yeah, a lot about what other women are going through as well. Yeah. It's really sad how long endo on average takes to get diagnosed. I think it's seven years or something on average for women. And, you know, even your story there, it took so long and just someone mentioned it and started to spark the idea you know, it's just really sad that women have to go through that uh, and suffer for so long before someone, you know, even yourself in this sense, you were the one that was advocating for yourself rather than the professionals sort of suggesting that. So if someone was going through a similar journey 
and not feeling supported or finding any answers, uh, but they feel something is wrong similar to you, what would you suggest they do uh, to get help or to at least work through the pain? I would head straight to your closest bookstore and pick up a book called How to Endo by a woman called Bridget who lives in Australia. I can't remember her last name, sorry. But um, because she puts it in a way better way than I can, she's lived with Endo for a really long time. Um, and the way she encourages and helps women become their own advocate is really incredible and teaches you what – she literally gives you, like – pretty much a script of how to go into a doctor and how to find a doctor and a specialist. And I think that's really incredible. I'm really lucky because I went through so much health stuff since I was young. I have a lot of health confidence, if you like, like I can go into a doctor and be like, this is what I need. This is who I want to see. And this is what I've been, what you're going to diagnose me with. Cause I'm pretty sure I have it. Like I am pretty good because I've had to do that my whole life. Whereas for many people who are in their twenties, they've never had to go through something like that. And so we, we've been taught that the doctors know best, but the doctors, they do know best in a medical sense, but they don't know us. We know us best. Um, so I think, A, not giving up if you um, think that there is something wrong. Speak to some people. Um, you'll be so surprised to find so many Instagram accounts and forums and stuff for whatever it is that you think you might have, but don't delay seeing a specialist. I think one of the hardest parts about endo is that it is diagnosed through surgery and that's a really hard, you, you don't just get to like go have a scan and then find out it's a really huge thing that you have to go through in order to find out. So I think that's off-putting for a lot of people, but I just believe answers are the best thing that we can have. So if that is an option for you, um, take it. Um, but yeah, I would read that book because she really, Bridget really teaches you how to become an advocate and what to look out for and what to ask for, because there's many doctors out there who will take you on board and will do an endosurgery, but they're doing the wrong form of endosurgery and they're not actually removing it. They're just kind of, I don't know, concealing it a bit. So yeah, that book gives you the power to get clued up um, and know what you need to ask for, I think is, is the best thing. Yeah, amazing, Jess. And we will post um, links to that book in our show notes. But I definitely agree that like the medical journey that you've been on since you were such a young child would have probably helped in the instance that you know your body and you knew something was wrong. I wonder how long the journey might have gone for if you weren't so self-aware of how you felt and the, and the journey you'd already been through. So again, I think silver linings, you know, that you were able to step in and make some changes for yourself and get the help when you needed it. Totally. When we first started hanging out, Jess, we were definitely on that train, all three of us, about just <laughs> trading as hard as we possibly could and doing as many burpees as we possibly could and <laughs> pretty much emptying the tank every single moment we got. What does movement look like for you now? What does it mean for you and how does it benefit you in the life that you live now? <laughs> I'm still laughing because I'm like who was that girl <laughs> um like wh who did I think I was but god I was on fire um movement wow movement for me is really different um like getting out of bed and making it up the stairs is pretty solid effort at the moment um I have been through a lot in the past couple of years I so when I as Liz is referring to, um, was doing all that exercise. I mean, that, that was a good, I'd say close to 10 years of my life. I just um, joined the gym. I found a happy place there. I was able to push, I guess, my own abilities and I pushed them really far and I loved that. And that was just, I just thought I'd forever be on that journey. And I, I, yeah, I 
I loved that a lot. And then I did Dancing with the Stars um, and I was training 14 hours a day for three months um, solid and doing movements that no human body should be able to do um, all while going for an hour's walk each day if I felt like it. Like I just never felt, I guess, like I had a disability. I just had got to this place where I'd really found my abilities and just thought I was forever going to live there. And then a couple of months after dancing finished, my good leg gave out. Um, and then a month or two after that, my, what I have left on my other side decided to swell to the point that for about 18 months to two years, I mostly couldn't put on my prosthetic leg each morning. So I went from being insanely active to pretty much being bedridden and not even having a good leg at all. Um, and that was, like the most my mental health has suffered in the past in my whole life to be truly honest um and that was really challenging just for the first time in my life I actually felt disabled by my disability if you like because I'd never actually felt that and it's something that has been really eye-opening and really challenging for me but um yeah it's been a journey a journey that I thought would be like oh that's like a six weeks injury kind of thing then we're now on year three um but I'm now at a place where I'm slowly able to do a little bit more I'm at the moment trying to find a personal trainer to help me kind of push through some things and just also get my confidence back because you know I do some homework out some really really light stuff um but I'm really struggling with that confidence side of things which I think a lot of people might be able to relate to coming back from injury that you it really knocks your confidence and especially the longer it goes on the longer you question um I guess your abilities and, and have that confidence in yourself so um movement for me is is I'm almost going to say non-existent in a in a in a get up and do an hour's workout kind of way but I'm able to move my body and that's um pretty awesome I still struggle sometimes like a supermarket trip or a trip around the mall can leave me in tears um but at the same time I feel the mentality coming back to want to get back to training and to want to push that a little bit more and, and see if I can um get back to a quarter of the place of where I used to be but I've just taken the pressure off myself because you know I spent a, probably a year and a half of these three years just feeling horrible about the fact that I couldn't move um, and wondering how that was going to affect my body and how that my body would change all that kind of stuff but I've just let it go and realized that you know, the fact that I now can put on my leg each day and know that it's going to go on is like the biggest achievement ever. And so I just take it back to that um, perspective, I guess. Mm. It's all about like sustainability and movement, right? Like we talk about it a lot at Femi, especially with females. We fall into this place and I I would like to say all three of us have been there where we've just tried to do everything and do everything at 110%. And it's just so unsustainable and there's just no point to it because you end up emptying the tank so far that you either get injured or sick or run down or you fall into a state of relative energy deficiency syndrome which we talk about a lot at Femi so you know I feel like you were trying to put putting this pressure on yourself not only to prove yourself as a female but also to prove yourself as a disabled person that you could do just as much if not more than anybody else um and for females you were always just trying to keep up with each other really so I think if you could take anything from this it's just like try to create movement into a really in a really sustainable way into your life because you want to be able to do it for as long as you can and do it that you in a way that you can enjoy it so I think yeah a lot of people can learn from all three of our mistakes <laughs> <laughs> definitely 
All right, we're going to wrap up here with two quick fire questions before we finish. Um, I'm not sure how quick fire you can do these ones, Jess, but the first one is, uh, what would you tell your younger self? And for you, we we usually say that 15-year-old self, but let's go back to, you know, your nine-year-old self who maybe had just been diagnosed with osteosarcoma. What would you go back and tell her? Um. My little motto, it's not going to be quick fire at all, um, is always you've got this. I just, I know that's so simple, but I would, I would just, you know, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't tell her to do anything different. It's just like a reminder that, that you've got this. And also that my, most of my limitations within reason, uh, within my mind, you know, I think, um, you know, there are certain things that I can't do and that's always going to be the case, but there's so many things that I can do. And if I can't do them, there is a way that I can do them differently. So, um, just to remind myself of that and to just be grateful for my parents, honestly, I know that has nothing to do with moving my body, but like, wow, our parents are amazing. I just, you know, you get to an age where you're like, yeah, that, yeah, parents are awesome. <laughs> Definitely. I think that's pretty good for a younger self. I feel like I was a bit of a dick when I was a younger, <laughs> younger person to my parents. So yeah, good and, But then you reach an age and you're like, oh, they were so good to me or like whatever, you know, it's like, you know, the, the support system or our caregivers, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> and last quick fire question we have is what is your purpose on Mother Earth? Oh, to normalize different, I think, is my main purpose. I want, you know, the one thing we all have in common as humans is that we're all different and I want everyone to celebrate that within themselves. So I hope that I was given a vastly unique body to hopefully show others that it's okay to be different. I love that. Yeah, that's so powerful and so amazing. And like, we're so proud of you, Jess, and the movement that you've created and the impact you've had on us personally but also so many people all around the world so thank you so much we're so proud to be your friends and um yeah keep doing what you're doing keep sharing the content you're sharing because you are truly making such a difference in a lot of people's lives thanks friends I mean likewise you guys are incredible so I'm just so happy that we're all still friends and still connected Thank you so much, Jess. We're going to, uh, we will be posting Jess's Instagram and TikTok accounts into our show notes. So you can head along to those accounts. I know Jess keeps saying, jump on Google and have a look at, at um, a rotation blast and what that looks like, but jump on her social media and you can see real life, how Jess gets around and what she does. And yeah, it's so incredible. So we'll be posting those in our show notes along with um, Jess's book, which she has uh, written and was released last year, as well as the book that she um, talked about how to endo. So head to our show notes for those but thank you jess and um we'll chat to all our listeners next week